1: Waste not want not.
3: You're listening to Bandwagons.
1: There's heavy eye contact there, and I loved it. There was, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot as well. <laughs> How are you doing, Bree? I'm doing good. Back in the studio. Yep, we sure are.
3: Feels good. Feels good to be home baby in the words of Kanye West. How are you doing? I'm doing good yeah I'm doing alright. Nice to see things kind of opening up again and getting back to normal. That's it yeah back
1: to a bit of normality. I'm very excited for this episode.
3: I am too. Um, As you might have known if you're a long time listener we covered the area of sustainability way back when it was one of our kind of earlier episodes. One
1: of our best I listened back to it today. We were on top form in that. <laughs> yeah, we, re-
3: we really were. Research <laughs> we really pays off, off, guys, yeah. Um, it's something that myself and Breed are both very passionate about, but we are absolutely would never claim to be perfect in any way, and we're always looking to learn. Um, so we were delighted when World Vision got on to us about working with them and maybe doing an episode with them, which is why, as you've probably seen from the title and you've clicked on your listening now, this episode is all about food sustainability specifically, which is very exciting and very fun. Yeah. Um, how sustainable do you reckon you are when it comes to food breed?
1: I would say I'm pretty good. Okay. Like I don't really buy that much like food that's going to go off. Like I tend to do like a shop a week and I will eat. I won't go to the shop just because I hate going shopping as well. I will not go until I've absolutely scraped the back of the fridge and the back of the press. And there's literally nothing left. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty good in that way. And like just making up dishes that aren't really dishes. Like, you know what I'm like for... Ravioli with tuna you're, and mackerels And like just stuff that shouldn't go together But I'm like You're a good gal for a mixum gatherum
3: dinner <laughs> As my mom would call them Um, I'm the same I think I've changed the way I shop a lot In terms of I definitely don't buy as much I don't shop as often And like while I'm buying I make sure like lasts So But I definitely used to be a devil for it And I still know people that are absolute devils for it But like it's It's hard Like I think when you're shopping, you can kind of be bombarded with all this choice or whatever. Like, we're so busy. I I feel like people have grand plans about what they'll do in the evening or what they'll make or what they cook. And like, there's a laziness as well. And like, this isn't to give out to anyone. Like, we've all been there. Like, I don't know how many times where I've went and I've bought ingredients for stuff and then I come in and I'm wrecked. And it's just sitting in the fridge or on the countertop, like taunting me. Like, how much food waste do you reckon the average household in Ireland
1: creates? In what in a year? Uh, yeah. Um. Oh, it's probably a lot. Like we get, our bins be pretty heavy. Like, I give me know. an give me an estimate. Give me a, a kilogram estimate. What if it's like, oh, I don't know. Like this, uh, like black bins. <laughs> Why are we talking about bins? No, not
3: bins. <laughs> food waste. So like um, your scraps and any food you throw out, basically. 10, so 000. not even just scraps. So stuff that you have that's gone off, even that you've bought haven't used in the bin.
1: 10,000 kgs 117
3: kg Oh my god 117 kg? Yeah Oh I was way off (laughs) You were way off (laughs) Still too much though Still way too much If you consider the fact that like I'm going to expose myself here But I'm like 67 kg That's two of me Like that's nearly two of me Yeah Of just pure rot like
0: Yeah
3: And often it's food that could have been eaten But again We just let it go past the date And let it go Horrific or not even that sometimes, you know, the way people can be where they see a date and they're like, oh, I can't eat this. And it's perfectly fine to throw it out anyway. I do not believe in cell Oh girl, I don't <laughs> either, but I'm just <laughs> saying just for, for the people who do like, um, and then the cost involved in that, so the cost per household is between 400 euro and 1000 euro per year. 1000 euro you are just putting Literally out. throwing in the bin. Like, tro- but, like what insane. What could you buy for 1000 euro? Oh, like a
1: really nice trampoline. (laughs) You could, exactly. Like, the
3: the nicest trampoline in the world.
1: Like, you could get like a proper hot tub for that, I'd say. You could get a new phone. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? And have change. And have change, absolutely.
3: But with that, then, so you're talking about we're creating all this waste and it's costing all this money. How is it then, right, that one in five children in Ireland go to school or bed hungry every single day? Yeah, you Every single do in here. Like, I think there's a real disconnect between people shopping and buying stuff and realising the impact that it has on other people that aren't them. Myself yeah. and yourself included. Like, we're all guilty of it, I think. Yeah. It's very hard to see outside your own box. Yeah, absolutely. For that reason, and as we said, we're always trying to improve and try to be better. We were delighted World Vision got on to us and asked if they'd like to work together on this podcast and do it in our usual fun way breed I think you'll agree Yeah. Um, where we just want to take you along with us and learn and just be better and just have the crack because as we said in the sustainability episode a small change is better than none and I think we underestimate how much of an impact our small changes can make. Um, so the work that World Vision do is they believe in a hunger free world so not just in Ireland everywhere they work in countries like Senegal uh, Syria yeah. loads of other places Um, And they want to bring an end to world hunger because they can see it. It can happen. They want to empower families to provide for their children and withstand life's unexpected setbacks. You're talking climate change. You're talking COVID-19. It's just a case of just believing that every child should have access to enough nutritious food. And like when you think of the fact that hunger is a daily reality for over 820 million people, which is more than the entire population of Europe. It's insane. Just the stuff that we completely take for granted. And we have the power to change as well. We absolutely have the power to change, yeah. So as I said, delighted to be working with them. We were very lucky and delighted to speak to Connor Spacey, who's the Culinary Director at Foodspace, and Mara Sadler, who's programs Director for World Vision Ireland, to find out more. And it's honestly... It's one of the most interesting episodes we've ever yeah.
1: recorded. I can't wait to go home and just like start replanting a lot of gone off edge and see if they grow.
3: There's so many changes that we want to implement in our lives now. And we would love to see all of you wagons do the same. We are delighted to be joined by Connor Spacey, Culinary Director at Food Space. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here.
3: Um, so for anyone who doesn't know you... Yeah. Who are you and what do you do and what is food space and how did you get to where you are now in the world of food and sustainability?
4: Okay, good question. So uh, I'm a chef, obviously, by trade, and I'm 28, 29 years cooking in different places throughout London and Ireland and a whole lot. And um, food space was kind of put together about four years ago, and the idea behind it was that we saw a gap in the market for contract catering, which is large-scale catering. So we would feed about 2 million meals we would produce a year. And it was how do you do that sustainably? So how do you do it using local seasonal Irish produce? How do you do it being plastic-free and so on and reducing our air miles and carbon footprint? So we grew quite quickly. Um, Over four years, we went from, say, two cafes and rolled out to we're at 17 now, across Ireland, a lot of them are contract based, which means they're kind of, the private, they're within workplaces and so on. I hate the word canteen, it's not that kind of sausage, eggs, beans and chips <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's more really good food, really yeah. good food you'd find on the high street, but in a workplace. But our whole ethos is on how to produce food sustainably, how not to waste food, like we don't have bins in our kitchens and so on, and how do we get to use every single product and work directly with farmers and producers and so on in Ireland to, to ensure that they have a livelihood and also to ensure that we use the best produce without all the air miles and without all the carbon footprint and so on on it.
3: Do you have a moment in your career that you look back on that was kind of the catalyst for your enthusiasm for sustainability? Like, Was, yeah. there, was there a moment where you were like, well, I need to do something about this? Or was it just like, I have to make this priority?
4: It was, and it was working back probably 15 years ago, so working in hotels where you're doing large numbers. And at the end of each day, whatever, after restaurants and bar food and functions, just so much food going into the bin. It just to me it didn't seem right. It just it, I wasn't comfortable with it, and I kind of looked at it and said, "This is not right, and this is not what we should be doing." And then I thought more about it, and I thought, as chefs, um, we can change this. Do you know what I mean? What, we, what chefs do, and uh, how they buy food, how they cook food, how they reduce waste. They can do it within the workplace in their kitchens, but they can also um, share those ideas with the public. With their with their, with the uh, customers and also coming in, so it kind of happened. Then it kind of hit me, and I thought, this 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 isn't right. And I suppose as a as a kid growing up, um, it was just natural. My parents all you know when you are living at home, they just used everything, nothing went into the bin, and a whole lot. So coming from that and going into catering, um, restaurants, hotels, no matter what it was, it was just it was colossal the amount of waste coming in. And not only the waste, it, the worst thing was for a lot of big, um, big uh, hotels, restaurants and so on, was the food that was coming in was, was out of season, it was imported, there was very little if any Irish food and none of that set well, sat well with me. So I kind of thought there's an opportunity here to change and also to use what we're doing as a footprint to show to others that it can be done, you know.
3: That actually just reminded me because I used to work in a hotel as a housekeeper and for lunch or whatever they used to, we got other things. This is going to sound bad, but like, do you know that they would serve pastries for breakfast and whatever? Yes, yeah. Or in this particular hotel, like we would get whatever leftover pastries weren't eaten, and I would be delighted. if I got a pecan plash, that was, that was it was going to be such a good day. <laughs> yeah. But I remember thinking I was like, well, if we don't eat these, like they
1: are just the going to be thrown room. out. Yeah, yeah. which we're is we're so great. I worked in kitchens as well, and I used to bring home like all the cold chips and leftover goujons because it just to break my heart that they just like shoved them all into the bin yeah. come ten o'clock. And I used to bring them and, like knocking on my friends' doors and be like wants freezing cold goo That's why my Breeder uh, still brings. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she's just come to my door and be like yes. Party. So
3: yeah. good. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah. What feedback have you gotten from businesses that you've worked with with Food
4: Space? Huge feedback because I suppose the clients we work with and we work across many sectors from universities to, to uh, big corporates, pharmaceutical companies and so on. So we've helped them to be to to reduce our footprint as well so by teaming up or partnering with, with, with companies that we do partner with we've we feed as I said a large-scale number of people sustainably which has helped them reduce their carbon footprint in companies and all as well and it's been a hell of a lot of interest so chefs are really bad I suppose at um not sharing things chefs are really like competitive and they're kind of like oh I'm not sharing how I do this I'm not trying to do that and I've kind of gone the total opposite and I share everything that we do and I go look at this is what we've done with this leftovers or that leftovers you can do the same or why aren't you doing it and kind of problem them and kind of going you know why aren't you doing it why aren't you doing it and that has has helped in many other not just catering companies but hotels and restaurants and all with chefs that I know have kind of I've gone into hotels and restaurants um, in my free time and said look at let me show you let me help you let me you know change your mindset. And uh, help you reduce your waste as well, and look at where you're buying your food from. So it's been a it's been a big, and I think it's only come to the like the public have been very uh, it's been very much um, in the forefront in the last few years where sustainability has really hit. But for me, it's kind of always been there. Like, and I found it was funny enough. I found an article. I was cleaning up my attic the other day, and I found an article last month from from an Evening Herald, and it was a twenty it was twenty year old article of me talking about sustainability and food waste. And I was thinking that's 20 years ago and we still haven't changed. You know what I mean? Uh, While it's become more in the front now and more people are conscious of it and looking at everything they're doing, I think that we have to be quicker about what we're doing and make the changes quicker.
3: Why do you think people have been so slow? Like what are the barriers for people to kind of implement these changes like from home to businesses?
4: A lot a lot. Of, there's two different things. I always say, look, the way I look at it is that we have, and when I say we, like everyone, generations now, um, younger generations and older generations that are on this planet, we have a total disconnect to food. And what I mean by that is we're very much a culture of I want it and I want it now. So we're very much, we're busy, we're on the go the whole time. We want to grab something off a shelf, be it a ready-go meal, be it, you know, vegetables or fruits to go home and cook, something. whatever it is, we're so busy that we have this total disconnect and we don't value food. So if you go into any supermarket and you see a, a bag of carrots and there's 12 carrots in it and it's one euro. I mean, those carrots cost three times that. But we just associate carrots to being a cheap food. So when we're at home then and we only use two of those carrots, we have no problem throwing out the rest because the cost is like 20 cents. So we're not thinking about the monetary value because food is so cheap and wrongly so cheap, if you know what I mean. Um, and the way supermarket and supermarket price wars and so on has been built over the years is that it's custom, customers believe that they're getting a, a great bargain on, say, vegetables, meat, fish, and so on. And this supermarket's great this week and I can get this at this price. But don't be fooled by what supermarkets are doing. They're adding that on something else, be it shoes, be it clothes, be it something that's not, you know, be it rice, or whatever it is, they're getting their margin anyway. They're, all they do is moving prices around. So they're still as profitable as they ever were, but they're squeezing and squeezing producers and farmers to bring in cheaper produce just so they can have a higher footfall. And that's brought in this effect where there's no connection to food. We don't know. We don't know what's in season anymore. You go into any supermarket and you'll see strawberries 12 months a year. While in Ireland, strawberries should be only two, maximum three months, but we'd expect it in January, we expect it at Christmas because supermarkets have brought us down this kind of rabbit hole of um, having everything available all the time. I think that's been a huge um, problem where we we want something that's convenient without understanding the the, um, knock-on effect of it.
3: Yeah, there is always that debate around certain supermarket chains, which we will not name, having (laughs) extremely (laughs) cheap... (laughs) fruit and veg, like, insanely cheap, like, and, like, don't get me wrong, like, I've bought them, like, it's, it's so hard to resist when they're there, and I don't know, I can only speak for myself, and it's something I'm going to try and do better, but, like, for our generation, you and me, breed. like, I don't think the difficulty is, as you said, like, a lot of people don't think about the person behind The vegetable, it's like, okay, these raspberries or whatever are 69 cent and I need a smoothie and I need it immediately in the same way that we consume content, in the same way we consume fashion. Like it's very like, as you said, like I need it immediately or what's the point?
4: And I'm not thinking about the knock-on effect of it. Yeah. And that's the problem. That's where we have this total disconnect and it's about trying to reconnect people to the actual value of food. And once you value food, then you won't waste it. you know what I mean? Like if you pay the true price for what the cost of food is then you won't waste it, so like the raspberries. Yeah. So for instance, you want to make a smoothie, you've got a half a punnet left over. You might leave it in the fridge for a few days and then look at it and go, oh, it's a bit moldy or throw it out. But if that costs you two, three euros, you wouldn't. Mm. And that'd be the true price of it. So it's kind of, we're trying to reconnect people and it's not about making food more expensive so that people can't afford it. It's about selling it as true cost. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. Um and, and, and Ireland is a typical example. So if we look at about 10 years ago, Ireland had over six hundred growers or horticulturists to grew vegetables. There's less than 170 left. Jesus. Do you know what I mean? So because of imported vegetables coming in in their drones, mass amounts in the supermarkets and shops that are half the price. And that's drawn out that's that's closed so many businesses from farmers. And for chefs, we're nothing without farmers. You know what I mean? Like we don't have good food. Like, if, if you're cooking with mediocre tasteless kind of out of season imported food well then your end dish is going is to be tasteless, mediocre you know what I mean yeah. so working with the best produce and paying a fair price for it is so important
1: Is that the solution then is to put everything back at its right price?
4: It, it, it is but it, it has to be done in a careful way whereby we're not inflating prices that's gone beyond um, affordability for people as well because like while Ireland is a thriving country we forget that Um, For me, like I look at things globally as well um, in terms of hunger and food waste and so on, but it's on our doorstep too. Do you know what I mean? It really is on our doorstep. And a lot of that was highlighted with COVID with schools being closed, um, whereby one in five children that are in school were getting, that was their only meal they were getting a day, every day in school. And now that schools were closed, they're hungry. So it's about getting the right produce in at the right price. But then there's an upside to that. Like if we look at... um, grains and so on in Ireland. Like I went, it took me about six months to find Irish barley that we could use in our restaurants rather than imported barley. So any shop or supermarket today, their barley comes from Europe, mainly France or sometimes the UK. While we grow barley here in Ireland in like hundreds and hundreds of acres of it. Um, And it's only when you get talking to the farmers directly, you find out that 70% 70% of it goes to Diageo, okay, no complaints there, do you know what I mean, that's Wait. our... <laughs> but the other 30% of what we could be eating is used for animal feed because no one wants it, do you know what I mean, yeah. and kind of going, well, this is wrong, so we'll import all this other stuff um, without using that. So what I mean, the point I'm trying to make is that barley, for one thing, is, is um, um, a sustainable, uh, cheap grain to produce. Whereby it's a stable for people's diet, you know, better than eating rice and so on. Not that there's anything wrong with rice, but it's coming from halfway around the world. Mm. So, getting people to use more Irish produce will draw down the price of it as well. Because the more demand there is for it, the cheaper the farmer can produce it at. But at the moment, because there's so little demand because of imports, it does cost more. So, it's trying to, it's like, it's kind of like what comes first to the, the egg or the chicken. But, you know what I mean? It's trying to get people to be more conscious of what they're buying and take that time, just take a little bit of time to read a packet or label and go where's this coming from Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean
3: it's mad to think as you just said there with like one in five children in Ireland going to bed hungry I think when it comes to this kind of issue of sustainability and being more like environmentally aware in every aspect of our life including food I feel like people like to think that it's like another country's problem or like it's a developing country's problem and while it is and it disproportionately affects them like this is something that happens at home because we are like and as you said when we waste so much food how are children in Ireland going hungry it's It's,
4: it's completely insane and it's, and it's, it's scary to think that it is in a country like this do you know what I mean? That that children are affected. It's not just children; adults as well. But yeah. Families are affected w- with food that they can't afford um, proper food. But yet we waste so much as well. And it's kind of and 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 the interesting thing is that seventy percent of food waste in Ireland occur- occurs in the home, not in restaurants, hotels, or cafes. It actually occurs in people's homes, and it's trying to if if you went on to a zero waste home or whatever and you kinda implement change in your house, think of the money you're saving as well. If you think of your if, if your shopping bill a month and you think that I could throw up fifty to seventy percent of that can end up in a bin, what's that in monetary terms? So if you try trying to be a more sustainable at home, it's a huge money saver as well you know what I mean so yeah. there's, 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 there's an upside to it financially as well as environmentally as well to, to, to be more sustainable
3: yeah I knew someone who was just the like the worst worst shopper ever and like I'm by no means perfect but like the stuff would just be <laughs> I'm right here Ratching. no not I'm you I'm in the room literally, <laughs> literally right here you're actually very good at making things from odds and ends and yeah. stuff but like I knew someone who would I just I saw your
4: chicken potato um, <laughs> did you <I> did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it
4: reminded me my mother used to do it. it's slightly different really she used to put it in flour, egg, and taylor. Someone else, I saw someone yeah, else. Yeah, oh, please don't justify her chicken taylor. It was my, my granny used to
1: make it. Don't
4: start.
1: Yes.
4: Um. it was taylor.
3: <laughs> I actually didn't like she bowl in it for it was that recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. it was very um, the reaction was divided on the internet like oh no, that's the
4: ketchup though, that's why I, the ketchup I kinda of, mm. the
1: ketchup is so much nicer after it comes out of the oven.
4: Is it? Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah.
1: taste like ketchup.
3: You can't I'll t- t- I'll They've take both word tried for it. it. <laughs> they
0: can
1: attest to <laughs> yeah, it. Oh yeah. we should have made some we should have made <laughs> some yeah, yeah, the yeah. chicken next <laughs> time. Um, you were saying earlier you have no bins in your kitchen. Yeah. So how does that work, like in terms so of it, examples?
4: It, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a lot of it is, is retraining chefs. So chefs have this mindset um, where when, when you're training as a chef, you're you're kind of told that you have to have the best of everything. So you've got to have the best of the meat or the or the inside. So if it's the cauliflower, it's the white part of the cauliflower and all that you're after. So you're trained to cut all this and get the best and throw the rest in the bin. And when we open new places and take on new chefs, there's a lot of training involved in changing the mindset because it is a mindset. And um, by taking bins out and they can't throw anything anywhere, then they're open to seeing what their waste is. So each chef that works on different sections within the kitchen has like a a see-through kind of plastic bucket. And no matter what they do, if it's meat, fish, vegetables, whatever section they're on, they keep it all. And at the end of the day, they, we train, now obviously we train them, but at the end of the day, they start to, after a while, they start to think about, okay, here's all these stalks off a of cauliflower or here's all these fish bones. You know? So I can't put it in a bin. I've got to produce something else from it. And because they're not used to thinking like that, it takes time. But the end result is brilliant. Whereby everything we have, we use. Um... And, and there's different ways, there's, you know, fermenting and pickling and dehydrating and all that, which sounds a bit kind of, oh, you've got to have a lab or you've got to be some scientific. It's not. Like, if you, like all these um, ideas we brought into modern day kitchens all came from the past. You know what I mean? These are, these are practices that people did hundreds of years ago. And we just, I just looked back and said, well, how did we preserve food hundreds of years ago when, it, when we didn't have fridges and how did we not waste anything? And took those and brought them into a modern day kitchen. And then we and obviously then we use them and they're really really tasty. and customers get to taste a lot of fermented drinks and kombuchas and kefirs and you know pickled vegetables and we we use up everything and by doing that and showing our customers that the idea is and they go home and go actually we saw that we should try that and you know we post videos and that recipes this is how you can do this this is how you can do that and everything like we did one there i did one at home a couple of weeks ago um with banana skins and their response was like, Jesus, never knew. So we make, we make banana skin chutney because we go through hundreds and hundreds of bananas a day.
3: I'm extremely intrigued
4: by this. Yeah, but you see, does. that's the thing. We never know, like we just associate banana skins to be, obviously it's the totally skins. Yeah, so you just think, well, I'll just yeah. throw that out. Um And it was only true about four years ago meeting this great chef in London, um, David Hertz. He's a Brazilian chef and um he was talking to me about they run like, it's, it's, it's like a large soup kitchen basically for the homeless in uh, Rio de Janeiro. And he was talking about having uh, banana skins that they cook like bacon. And they eat these and that's very common. And I was thinking... They didn't know you could cook banana skins, so we played around with it, blah, blah blah. So we come up with this chutney, and we have that in all our restaurants, and we serve it on burgers, and we serve it on with meats and cheese and all. that and people love it. So for me, then I share that once I'm happy with the recipe, I'll be share it with the public and go, you can do this at home as well. Even if it's only four bananas a week, freeze your banana skins down till you have like a dozen of them. Do you know what I mean? And then chop them up, and you make this. It takes ten minutes actually to make. It's like making a jam yeah. with spices and all my in it. My dad loves my dad. loves jam. Young,
3: like. My dad grows black currants, red currants, gooseberries. Loganberries, raspberries oh, And I'm never short of jam It's the best thing ever yeah. And like that like Loganberries so
4: and all that You don't see them in Ireland anymore Loganberries 20 years ago Were as popular as raspberries Yeah But they're not around anymore You don't yeah. see them Because it died off Because everyone thought The best berry in the world Is a strawberry mm. I'm not saying it's not When it's in season And obviously being from Wexford Yeah I know The best you know <laughs> Goes without saying
1: like,
4: <laughs> Best strawberries in the world But uh, Loganberries and all These were old berries That were plentiful in Ireland That are gone You know, more or less, like at producing in in big numbers because of imports that we just presumed were better. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. And that's what I mean about biodiversity as well as bringing back um, old uh, um, fruits and vegetables and so on that we would have grown. Previously, and um, just died out. Bringing those back in helps as well. Um, helps farmers and gives more variety to your diet and what you want to eat and so on. So it's all interlinked. It's all really back to the farmer. Yeah. You know what I mean. And once you get that produce, making sure that you use all of it and trying to eat it that way.
3: We could be sitting on a gold mine with the old loganberries. <laughs> <having> <laughs> um, <laughs> what foods are the biggest offenders when it comes to their carbon footprint, or is it ju- is it just everything? Well,
4: it isn't. Is it is sort of some things, right? Whereby. W- you know, so uh, avocados, right? We don't... Oh, yeah, uh, don't. No, I, I've I, heard I, this. I, so we, we don't... So we've so never... Much. we we banned avocados. We don't sell... There's a lot of things in food space we don't sell and refuse to sell. And if a customer asks her, we very straight up, nice and politely tell them why we don't do it. Okay. So avocados are one of the biggest offenders because... 10 years ago, someone thought it was cool to have an avocado on toast with a hangover or something like that and a rasher on top and... Was it you, no? I'm <laughs> <laughs> are oh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of going, could have been I'm me. just <laughs> thinking about it. I'm like, mmm, I like <laughs> eat that every day. I started day. <laughs> that. But, um, so the knock-on effect of... of so, okay, in, within Europe and Africa, all avocados do grow sustainably and people have avocados in their back garden, as we would have apple trees, say. Yeah. But on a mass scale... In Ireland, the majority of avocados are grown in Mexico. And it's equivalent to four football pitches a day of forests are cut down to oh. grow more avocados. Oh, my God. So the ca- and, and then there's, there's, there's um, wildlife habitats and so on, obviously affected by this, as well as climate change uh, because of it. And this is just so someone here in Dublin can have an avocado toast for their yeah. brunch. So while it, there's things like that where you have these cool foods, that actually the knock-on effect is huge. So, for me, okay, we're a small company in terms of what we do in Ireland, like food wise, but by for us saying we don't do that and we will never sell it, and we tell people why, people go, I didn't know that. So, we're trying to, trying to get people to learn more about ingredients. Farm fish is another one. I only had a discussion last night with someone about um, farm salmon because, as we know in Ireland, every wedding you go to, every function you go to, it's turkey ham or salmon or beef or salmon, or just salmon, salmon, salmon. So, farm salmon. If you were to produce, say, a 10 kilo, that's a big fish, right? That's what hotels and restaurants buy of salmon. Double that. So up to 20 kilos of wild fish have been killed or been killed either through feeding the farm fish or through the pollutants from fish farms. So we're uh, depleting wild uh, species of fish so we can have salmon here in Ireland. So, so we don't serve heads. salmon. We've never served salmon either. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, but people don't know that because salmon, you go into the supermarket and you get too little I don't know fillets of a. It goes f- vacuum packed. Yeah, 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 and you think, oh, yeah. that salmon, and we all like salmon because it's a habit. So if we, if we replace that and put pollock or, or ling or something, people go, "What is that?" While it's 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 fish that is surrounded in our oceans on both sides, east and west coasts, and um, they're plentiful, they're sustainable. We that's all we sell. Not that's not all the fish we sell. but I mean, we only sell sustainable fish for that reason. But we explain to the people. We go today's fish is ling. They go, what's that? You know, it's a bit like cod. It's plentiful. It's sustainable. It's fished here. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, it, it, it's it's um, it's good to eat. It's good for the planet. I've
1: had ling. It's very nice. It I have ling nice, pie yeah. down in so it's So good, lovely yeah. ling.
4: So yeah, good. It's a yeah. lovely fish and very underrated because we don't know about it. Yeah. Because purely out of habit, we go. What do you have tonight for fish? Oh, salmon. You know, and yeah. and cod like like while well, cod is is um, probably in most processed foods and fish fingers and fish pies and so on. Up until recently around Ireland cod was a protected species where you couldn't fish it do you know what I mean so Irish in Ireland we still wanted it so we imported it even from further afield do you know what I mean because it's not sustainable either so purely out of habit if you ask someone what to eat when it comes to fish 90% will go salmon or cod because it's habit but then that's not sustainable so it's trying to change that Um,
1: which is so hard to do it's so
4: so hard to do you're breaking habits. habits and people aren't you know, A, people don't like to be told what to do.
3: Especially Irish people. Especially like us. Of, we hate that. But there's a Look, lot well, of We've like been locked <laughs> in for what,
4: three months? You know, we're all sneaking out at night time, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you because you know, someone told me to stay in, so I'm going out. That kind of thing.
3: Literally, like, yeah, they're just so so ingrained in us, these habits. Like, yeah. it's. Yeah. But as you said as well, it's like these trendy foods that you see that you're just like, oh, yeah, well, I saw it on Instagram. So, like, I'm going to order that now. And then obviously the restaurants yeah. are spanned because it's like, Demand. This is what, the, yeah. This, this is, is the demand. demand, yeah, exactly.
4: And then when we come to um, non-dairy milks, so almond milk is huge problem. I know that's problem. bad. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't Huge have problem. Milk. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. While uh, oat milk is probably the best, um, yeah, from sustainable <laughs> purpose. But what I always laugh at: so you go into a supermarket and a liter of oat milk or two liter, whatever it is. I don't know the price, but it's bloody expensive. Mm, like
1: like $2.50, It's like two fifty. $2.50, $2.50. Yeah, it's crazy. If right, so you right, buy yeah. you buy
4: a bag of Irish oats, and I will think about Irish wheat and all that in a minute. But if you buy a bag of Irish oats, soak it in water for. 10 minutes and then blend it's it oat that's oat milk yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? mean
3: literally you yeah. can do
4: it at home with just, just a, a stick blender or, or, a, or a that's, that's it like. <laughs> you know we're not going to feel the milk and oats like. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> like, you know it's, that's oat milk so this huge market where you pay this ridiculous amount of money for oat milk and you know you go into Bristol's and it's an extra 50 cent for a shot of oat milk it's cheaper to make than dairy milk but yeah you know, and then almond milk is so unsustainable in how much water is needed yeah. to produce and grow almonds and so on. So while these new trendy foods come in, they there's a huge knock-on effect. And I always say to people, it's like it's like a beanbag or a water or a waterbed. If I make a decision and and this side, it affects people on the other side worse. So if I jump on a waterbed, it's the person on the other side of the waterbed is going to flip off it. So by getting almonds, it's the place that oh, grow the almonds an are more affected. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Their carbon footprint is more affected than here in Ireland. But we want it So we're we're oblivious to How it's affecting other people In the world That grow almonds and so on And it's that kind of connection That Trying to get people to Think that way It's not easy But I do think people Are more open to it
1: Yeah I think we need to go back To like the really old Ireland Where everything used to be just grown in the garden yeah. Follux Fia. you what? Follux Fia where it's just like oh, I don't know what you're saying do you know, know like, like do you know what? the? Is that German?
3: no do you know <laughs> Follux Fia, it's Irish do you know the thing where they'd like it'd I be like a a, a a like a plot of water and they'd cook the fish in it didn't your man with the salmon do it Fionn McCool. did he have the salmon knowledge? he probably did yeah so that's the
4: oh, end of a salmon someone's gonna,
3: yeah exactly anyway that's the point <laughs> I was making
1: carry on I'm sorry for interrupting no, but like you know Dublin Gardens like the really long ones were the really long gardens were obviously from People like who are kind of poor because they used to have to grow everything themselves because mm. they couldn't afford to buy anything.
4: Yes, yeah. We
1: all need to go back to like the the sustainable and so on. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We need yeah to Go back yeah. to the sustainable gardening, yeah. and... and
4: that's the thing. Like, I mean, and okay, I'm not saying it's easy to grow, but lots of vegetables, all you can grow, even in even if you live in an apartment in in in, yeah. in bed plant boxes and so on that don't need a lot of work. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it's just and when when you start growing food as well, you, you you appreciate a lot more when you're eating it because you've had it since it was a seed and you kind of, you know, you, you looked after it and pruned it and did whatever you had to do. And now you're kind of going, oh, it's ready, it's in season. And it obviously tastes much better too. Do you know what I mean? Like homegrown food tastes much better than anything you're going to get from imported food. It's mass produced and has no flavor. Yeah. And it's kind of, it is, it's kind of, like we're a modern day society, you, you, like, but our food has become so modern that this gap has occurred. Do you know what I mean? This sustainability is colossal. Like it's, well, it's, it's a global problem the choices we make here in Ireland can help Ireland and the globe as well. And it's not that. I think a lot of people, I know um, a lot of people I talk to, when they're at home, they just feel like, well, I'm just at home, it's just me and, you know, two kids or whatever it is. And they're kind of thinking, what difference can I make? You know, it's up to governments and big companies. But if we change, then the governments and large conglomerates all have to change because demand changes. So people should never feel that they're too small to make a difference. You know, that kind of way, because you can. Yeah. Just by voting with your feet yeah. as, as, a, as a consumer By what you buy And how you buy it Will change how supermarkets And shops Stock things and Like if we went to the supermarket And we didn't want any of the Imported veg We're well, then going to stop Putting it in Yeah, You know that kind of way And yeah. obviously packaging Is another story But it's the same idea mm. Like if we went for Loose vegetables Where you can get it um, And stuff like that Then less and less Packed vegetables will come in They're, they're only going to Feed demand Yeah, um, And it's trying to change that
3: Beyond making those changes, what recommendations would you give to people trying to be more sustainable at like a, at a kitchen level, just in their own home?
4: In their own home. It, it, it's A lot of it is down to shopping. And this sounds a bit boring, like sitting there writing a list, kind of like, geez, I have enough to do. But if you just planned out a week ahead, if you planned out what you're going to do next week, you know, wherever you're going to be and what you're going to do, and planned out what you want to eat and just buy those ingredients for that. Um, and then there's always... There's always tie in what's left over. So I was saying, like, if on Sunday I had a roast chicken, well, then you got a carcass, a bit of chicken left to make a lovely ramen on the Monday. So just buy noodles to go with the ramen and a bit of vegetables, do you know what I mean? And think, right, there's two dishes out of that chicken. Then on Wednesday, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to buy in eggs and I'm going to make an omelette and then I'm going to have some eggs left over and I can do a stir-fried rice, whatever. Think along what you're buying and what what's the most you can get out of it. Um, and a lot of it for me is is obviously check, keep it in season. There's lots of easy like um stop food waste and board B and all it you can go onto a website and see what's Irish now that should be in supermarkets like what should I be looking for in supermarkets at any given time? The information is there, look for that, and then stay away from the imported stuff. Do you know what I mean and stay away like plastic is a we know how 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 bad plastic is but there are alternatives. So, like, I mean, if you were buying condiments, buy glass jars, mm. you know I mean, rather than squeezy tubes, buy your milk in Tetra Packs. While there is plastic rims on Tetra Packs, Tetra Packs themselves do get recycled, while plastic doesn't. So a lot of it is is looking at the product you want and making sure you can buy it most sustainably that what's available, rather than just grabbing... You know, a condiment, mayonnaise, or ketchup, whatever it is, for your potato chicken, or (laughs) you know know what I mean, or or your milk in the big three-liter, you know, like look, look for look for better packaging and look for Irish produce, Um, and then but also look for. Like eggs, because I was talking about that. I mean, we ha- you go into a supermarket and you see this big tray of eggs in plastic packaging and it's like one euro. And these are battery hens that are living in these cages that it's so incredibly cruel as well as unsustainable, how they're reared and so on. While free-range eggs will cost a little bit more, yes, but the knock-on effect for the environment isn't so much better. So look out for those things, you know what I mean? Um Organic doesn't necessarily mean, or, or being sustainable doesn't necessarily mean you have to be organic. I know a lot of farmers that grow fantastic produce and they're not organic because they don't want to be labelled organic while their farming is done chemically free and so on. So look for Irish produce is always the best way um, and think about, you know, it takes five minutes. It sounds a bit, you know, Jesus, like homework here, write out a list, but it takes five minutes. Plan out what you're going to do for the week, write it down and stay away. When you're going to the supermarket, stay away from... Um, you know they have like oh buy one get one free or buy two of these and get one of them because you're not going to need it. And a lot of time is you've planned out your your you've planned out what you want and then something obviously that's the way the supermarkets have it set up. Something's going to catch your eye, a uh, promotion here. Buy two of these and get one of these, and you go oh that's great. You go home, sits in your cupboard, of your fridge, and it gets thrown out two weeks later because you didn't plan it and you're buying more than you need to consume. So a lot of that leads to food waste. Is a lot of how things are marketed. You know what I mean that kind of way. So just think, yeah, plan and think about what you want to do, and and um, use up everything. And that sounds real, but I don't know how to. It's easy when you start to think about it. Like, when you change your mind.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
1: Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
2: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
4: said so If you start with one vegetable, say it was a cauliflower, and you said, right, I am getting cauliflower because I wanted whatever, vegetables at my dinner on Sunday and then you start to use the leaves in stir fries or make a kimchi, or which are really, really easy to do. Um, after, when, when you get used to that, then you look at other vegetables and go, well, what can I do with that and what can I do with that? So all of a sudden, your mind opens up to thinking, I'm not throwing anything out. And once you have that mindset, you start to use everything and you, and, and you save money and you great taste in food. Like the top shelf in my fridge at home was full of all homemade condiments that are better than any condiment you can buy and didn't cost me anything. And we all know like relishes and jams all in shops, uh, colossal price for what they are. Mm. So it's a, it's big money saving as well. But it's taking that first step and and, and doing it one step at a time. Because if, if you try to do everything at once, you get overwhelmed and you feel you failed and you don't want to try it again. Pick one thing that annoys you or one thing you think is easy to do in terms of using it all and do that and do it well and then move on to something else. And all of a sudden your mind will open up to it, you know, that kind of way.
3: What's in season at the minute, and would you have any recommendations for? Well, obviously to strawberries, are, strawberries.
4: Are, are are fantastic. There's lots. Of, there's lots of things in season. So we've just come out of what we call the hunger gap, and not many people know. But so a hunger gap is two months of the year um, where we're in between growing and harvesting. So um, and a lot of what a lot of what through sustainability you were prepared for that and and fermented stuff. So you you won't have as much fresh Irish vegetables. Plenty of imported, but to stay away from them. So now we're coming into, we have lots of lovely stuff out there. We have lots of fruits and berries. We have lots of really tasty uh, potatoes. I don't mean just a regular potato. A lot of the heritage potatoes um, that that are were, were grown in Ireland hundreds of years ago. we forgotten about that. are back now again. There's great uh, farmer grows them here in Ireland. Um, root vegetables, light root vegetables and all are in. So we're at a time now where... Everything in your kitchen could be Irish. You know what I mean? We're at a time now where we're in harvest season. We're coming out. A lot of farmers are starting to plant again now for later in the year. So we're coming to an end of one season, but we'll kick into another. So there's always Irish produce available. And it might not be something that you're, you know, when the winter kicks in, when we come into, say, autumn, you have lovely celeriacs and all coming in. People go, well, you know, we're not used to that. But, like, it, it looks like a turnip. It tastes like a parsnip. It's mm-hmm. lovely. And once you think of it that way, you'll go, well, what do I do with turnip? I do this, this, and this. So do the same mm-hmm. With the celeriac you know what i mean so there's lots of stuff out there but um unfortunately the way our shops are set up you have to look for it it's not it's not in your face do you know what I mean or some shops don't have it at all which is really bad because you hear them advertising on the radio or tv supermarkets going you know all oh, we're supporting irish farmers you go in and go not one thing in here is irish so you know yeah. how are you doing that so you know marketing is, is is the thing with supermarkets but i feel like i'm picking on supermarkets i probably am <laughs> You know, they, they d- deserve d- it. They do deserve <laughs> it. Yeah, they do. Good. We're all anti capitalists <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. shaking our fists
3: at the What's your like personal favorite, like nothing in the fridge recipe? Like you have bits and bobs of everything. Or something that you'd know that like a lot of people would have odds and ends of stuff. Usually, and they're looking at it and they're like, I'm going to throw this out. Tell them what to make so that they stop doing
4: that. Usually, it, 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 it's a, I call it kimchi. It's not the real Korean kimchi, but it's a take on that. So it's a spicy economy. It's Wexford so kimchi. It, it's Wexford kimchi. <laughs> Actually, that's what I'm going brand it as. Wexford kimchi. <laughs> I said it was stalling to strawberries. <laughs> Sell them out. Yeah, exactly. on the side of the girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Charles kimchi. But, uh, what, so what it is is it's, it can be anything from fruit, like apples, pears, to um, any kind of green leaves, onions, even seaweed can go into it. Any kind of odds and ends you have in your kitchen in terms of vegetables and fruits that are all chopped up, seasoned with um, fresh ginger, garlic, uh, chili paste. So you can even use a chili sauce. You know, a cowboy chili sauce. You can use that if you want to be really quick at it. Um, and what you do, you salt your greens first. And what I mean by that is... you. Put it. You sprinkle it with salt, let it rest or sit for like 10 minutes and all the moisture comes out. And that's the base of your pickle. And then you add in your fruit, your ginger, got all the seasons. You jar it and leave for about six days. And it's this spicy relish. And it all breaks down and the moisture from the greens totally submerge it into this kind of liquid where it all pickles. And it's really... It can be as spicy as you want. And it's great with, I eat with everything. It's great on sandwiches. It's great with salads. It's great in pastas. And it's just... I always call it empty the fridge kimchi. Like it's literally any kind of vegetables or fruits go into it. The original one is far from that, as in the original Korean recipe, but this is more of a Wexford one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just exactly. keep visualising with like my sad onions on the countertop. Like, do you know, there's always like one sad onion that's just like... Please what use you, me and you're like,
4: oh but what you could do with that, so the sadder it gets, it'll start to grow <laughs> these little green sprouts. Okay. You we'll come over and then plant it. Put it in a flower box and it'll grow more onions for you. What? Yeah, so there's a lot of vegetables and so celery is a great one. Yeah. Lettuce is a great one. So with celery, what we do is we cut up our celery and when you get down to the root, so you leave about, I don't know, two inches. Okay. You know, down to the root part that most people throw out, put in compost or might at best make soup, but you cut off a little bit of the root, like a tiny little millimeter. Sit it in water and leave it in your... Like, just a little bit of water. Leave it in your kitchen window, wherever there's a bit of uh, sunlight. And after about two weeks, it'll sprout in the flowers and then plant it and grow another celery. So celery keeps giving back. Like, lettuce is the same. Once you have a whole head of lettuce, take off the little nib off the bottom, use the outer leaves to eat, then put that in water and it'll grow again. So That's a lot of stuff you can about. can regrow without being... I'm, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not... You don't have to be a gardener or yeah. a horticulture or anything to do this. This is just... As I always call food that gives back, and onions another one, potatoes another ones. Where, can you do it
3: with garlic? Did I make
4: that? Yeah, up? you know you can do it with garlic. Garlic will sprout again; this little green sprout yeah. will come out of it, and then you plant it and grow more garlic. Um, potatoes another one where they have all these little bits start yeah. to come out. We you know they've been under your in a press for a month, and you yeah. kind of going, "Plant them and they grow more." So anything like that, a lot, of, a lot of root vegetables, as we call them, like potatoes, onions, garlic, celery, and so on, will regrow into more doesn't happen overnight like that you're not going to so have a celery cool. next week and go I don't want to buy more celery it'll take a while mm. but it's going to grow another. so rather than throwing it out in a few months time you'll have another celery for free
1: that's that so cool we, I really want to get into that sustainable you've, gardening you have such like, a good garden for it yeah. Yeah. I do
3: as well I'm just lazy I need to actually start
1: <laughs> yeah, yours that's is so very very my parents stuff. at home like have spent the time during lockdown like my dad has built this big greenhouse and they've built like just like an area to grow Like strawberries and raspberries And like Mum's like here This is where I'm growing my Like aubergine's really? or something I don't know But they're like courgettes or something Something's really easy to grow But they like have yeah, no skills Like they just Got it into their head And they just and did it easy and it's so yeah, easy to do so easy to do When you're interested in And yeah. want to do it And as
4: vegetables like that Aubergine's and courgettes And all we think are um, have to be imported. They grow here. now yeah. I know. I know people like I was doing a thing the other day, um, making a video on tapache using pineapple skins. You did a lovely drink. So you oh, just yeah. cut up the, the skins and the core off the pineapple that we throw out, and you infuse it with sugar and water for forty eight hours. And it's a sparkling pineapple. It self carbonates. <laughs> it's, has great, been it's great.
3: Making pineapple <laughs> coladas and well, she has a lot of
4: pineapple. This is great. Use. This is great with Malibu. It's great with vodka. Oh it's great with, as a mixer, like. And it's as fizzy as champagne It's right up my street It's fantastic <laughs> It's purely made of Pineapple skins And, and the root But what I do with the top Of the pineapple skin The actual flower of it Same thing You put it in water And you put it out to grow Now you do need a greenhouse Obviously in Ireland Because it's so cold yeah. Yeah. But th- it takes two years Unfortunately That will grow another pineapple In two years
3: That's class Get your parents on that it's
4: Get just them onto like, it Get yeah, them onto it's just the, just the like, vodka
3: and that That's <laughs> like Animal Crossing Literally <laughs> yeah, Kind of Yeah <laughs> I've never played it That is so <laughs> good. What is the Chef's Manifesto?
4: So, yeah, that's, that's a kind of cool thing that's really grown real fast. The Chef's Manifesto started three years ago. We kind of... So what it is, it, um, there's United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So 17 goals. There's 190-something countries. My geography is really bad. I didn't know there was that many countries and I know there's more. <laughs> but anyway, so don't ask me to name them that are uh, signed up to the SDGs Sustainable Development Goals, to achieve them by 2030. Ireland being one of them. And Ireland paid... A significant part in in writing the sustainable development goals. So Ireland are very uh, highly regarded when it comes to United Nations and sustainability, even though we haven't stepped up enough. So what's been happening is the goals. I won't say they, they seem unachievable. They are achievable if we hurry with our changes. There's only ten years left. Do you know what I mean? So it's, as we say, it's the this is the last decade of change. But. um so somewhere along the line, someone in the United Nations and the World Food Program came up with an idea that chefs are in the middle of the food. So we decide, as I was saying earlier, where we buy food, how we don't, how we do or don't waste it, what we buy, how we buy it, and in turn we can teach customers and so on how to be more sustainable. So a cool guy, Paul Newham, he Australian guy living in London, works for the World Food Program, and he was tasked with gathering chefs together to get. Um, ideas down from chefs or what it is basically is taking the 17 goals which the thing about the 17 goals every goal has by goals or, or you know goals within the goals so it's it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages about sustainable development goals no chef and lot, a lot of people I know will never sit down and read all that so the idea was how do you take the SDGs and turn them into very easy chef language that chefs will go oh I can do that so a bunch of chefs got together Is about 20 of us at the beginning, they got together between New York and London to, to sit down and, and translate that into what we call chef language so that chefs can learn to be more sustainable um, and help other chefs to be more sustainable. So it's grown hugely over the last three years. So we're in 72 countries now and there's over 800... Chefs involved. And when I say involved, they're involved. It's not like they're members of this just to wear like, like, a, like a blue Peter badge. Yeah. They're actually involved in making changes. And, and the good thing is, then we also get to sit with NGOs and large scale um, different companies that are behind sustainability. We have a voice at the table now. So chefs get to sit with these companies um, and to, to go to governments to make change. And people are starting to listen. So it's, it's helped to accelerate the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030 um, and really got chefs involved. And I think the impact has actually been bigger than was first expected. So it's really cool. It's a great initiative with the World Food Programme, United Nations and so on, to really push for sustainability. And like the way it's set up, it's not like a numbers game that we're just looking for members to join. We're looking for people to get involved that want change and that will drive change. And whatever country they're in, will encourage others to do the same and show how to do the same. So it's about sharing best practice about how to be more sustainable and showing other chefs how to do it. So we set up a hub here a year ago in Ireland in Grow HQ in Waterford, really cool place. So we set up a hub down there. And what the hub means now, of course, COVID kind of knocked it on the head for so early this year. What the hub means is we bring Irish chefs down there um up to four times a year is the plan uh, to talk about sustainability and get people in with different backgrounds in sustainability from farming from fishery from you know food producers and all that to share ideas about how to make ireland more sustainable the same there's another hub in london it, we're in we're in india africa copenhagen new york la so it's spread out across all these countries these hubs where chefs get together like think tanks and go well, what are we doing and how can we encourage others to change and what and how ourselves can be more sustainable what are you doing that I could do, and so it's sharing ideas and being very open about being more sustainable. So it's really cool, yeah. It's a great, great initiative that's really kind of taken off and has made a lot of change towards very sustainability. Intriguing. Very yeah. exciting!
3: Yeah, very cool. exciting! Um, where can people find out more about you and Food Space if they want to?
4: They can. Um, well, they can go to food hyphen little middle for the website, or they can go spacey. Underscore Chef on Instagram or Space Chef on Twitter.
3: You're very good on Insta. You? Yeah. I was I was creeping before this, and I'm I I can't wait. I'm very excited about this fizzy pineapple drink. Well, that's yeah, on it. I'm go so go excited. to it. That's on it. That's on the yeah. LG
4: TV. And it's so yes. easy. and tastes great, and it, it's 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 got that fermented flavour. So it's a bit strong. It's a bit like a ginger ale almost. Not that kind of flavour. Yeah. But mix it with Malibu gin or vodka, and it's.
1: Sorted. Ryan. Sorted. Um, Sorted. This has been so good. I've loved having a familiar accent on. Yay. I feel like I'm at home. Go
4: on. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow bellies.
1: And loads of my friends are going to love this. I can't wait for them to hear it. I'm so outnumbered, really? but I was absolutely
3: delighted to have you. What really, a pleasure. You have Loganberries. So
0: okay. Yeah, I have <laughs> yeah, I forgive you.
3: Thank you so much for joining us, Connor, Brilliant. and for, for educating me. us and educating our listeners. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We are delighted to be joined by Mark Sadler of World Vision, Programs Director. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thanks very much for having me. Much appreciated on this uh, miserable rainy day outside. Not great. It's
2: good for the grass, lads. good it for the grass. Is, that's yes, that's what we'll it. keep
3: telling ourselves. Yeah, go for the grass. Can you explain a bit about what World Vision do? Okay, so World Vision
2: is a child focused overseas aid agency. And we've been here in Ireland since 1983. So we've been around the block a while. And our primary focus is to support and to bring around sustainable changes in the life of children in the countries we work in. And we predominantly work in Africa and the Middle East, working a lot with countries on health programmes and on education programmes, mostly for World Vision Ireland in sort of areas of conflict. So you're looking at South Sudan, Sudan, Syria, um, or areas with poor health systems like Sierra Leone or Tanzania and Uganda.
3: We're obviously recording this under food sustainability and how we can be more sustainable with our food here and how much like us and our food waste contributes across the world. It is such a ripple effect. How big of an issue is world hunger in 2020 and what factors are contributing to it? So if you look, the UN actually came out today and said we are possibly
2: heading into the worst food Insecurity issue in over fifty years because of COVID. Insane. So it's it's a it's a massive problem. It still remains a massive problem, and I suppose for me it's easier talking about the people I meet or what happens. So the last time I was in Sierra Leone, I was in Chebro Island, which is an island. It takes seven hours to get to the coast, and then another hour on a ferry to get to the main little town of an island. And I sat with a community group there and. This is an island that has no power. The only two vehicles on the island belong to the hospital. They're an ambulance. So their carbon footprint is nothing. These people don't contribute to the global carbon emissions problem. Yeah. You sit with them. I said, How's, what's the impact of climate change? And it's a bit fuzzy at first, and then it starts coming out. The rainy seasons are different, so they can't grow their crops in time. The fishing grounds where they normally go to, just off the coast, are being eroded. Their fish are disappearing. So while these people aren't contributing to climate change much, it's really impacting their lives. And they're the least able to cope with it. If the three of us need to go to the shop, oh, it's raining, we can still go and get food. Yeah. It's not, It's impacting our lives, and it's no doubt it's impacting our lives. But those people who are least responsible for it are impacted more. And you sit and talk to them and it's impacting their ability to feed their children. It's impacting their ability to grow their normal crops. You're looking at, we got a fast boat. So it took us an hour on a ferry from the mainland. If one of them gets sick or all their food has to be brought across, it takes ages to get it. The next morning I was leaving and... The rain. It was like this. Torrential downpour started. And I was like, I thought this was dry season, guys. And they were like, it is, but we just don't know what happens anymore. So the ferry couldn't leave for an hour because of the torrential downpour. So all these sorts of things are impacting them. I'm rambling now.
1: Yeah, and they just don't have the resources to like handle it, really. Or
2: yeah, exactly that. So you're looking at they have to bring in all their foods that they don't grow themselves. They have you're looking at the seeds that they might have been grown for years and years are no longer able to deal with the changing weather patterns. And sometimes they don't have the knowledge of how to deal with it. So we're working with what we call nutrition groups and small community groups. So mostly mothers and teaching them how to do backyard gardening. So how they can grow green vegetables or nutritious crops in their back garden so that they can have there's these really I love them. They're called Keyhole Gardens and they are like shapes like a keyhole. They're by your waist high. So you can walk into the middle of it and pick your vegetables from any part of it. So there's simple technologies like that that we're working with the communities so that they can improve their sort of availability of food and then teaching them how to cook them properly. Like my own mother, when she's cooking broccoli, cooks it to death. So it comes out <laughs> mush. So teaching people that that's not nutritiously yeah. good. <laughs> like green vegetables, you cook them quick and keep the nutrients in them and stuff like that. So like... There is traditional knowledge there. People have knowledge and skills, but it's changing. Climate change is changing people's ability to cope.
3: There's actually nothing worse than soggy broccoli. I just had, just I try. had a visceral reaction to that there said it. That um, and lumpy gravy. Oh, God. <laughs> that's, that's another podcast for another day. Oh my God. Um, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like, I always find, like, the climate change deniers are quick to be like, oh, well, the climate change doesn't exist because we don't see it. Yeah, because we're, uh, we're not the ones perfect, uh, yeah. affected. It's these people who bear the brunt of it yeah. when yeah. we could be the ones making the changes yeah. and Making helping us long term and helping these people as they experience it right yeah. now and suffer as a result. And that's the thing. Climate change is
2: probably one of the o- one of the only things COVID doesn't. It doesn't know its boundaries. So the climate change we're causing here in Ireland, the impacts are felt elsewhere as well. Carbon emissions are not like kept within your national boundaries. So there is a responsibility for us to take take action and to look after what we do, both at a government level but at an individual individual level and see how we improve that. But it's also impacting here. Like my own mum was able to tell me I joined a climate organization a few years ago and she's like, Oh, I noticed the mountain ash doesn't bloom for an extra six weeks here. And I'm only in Tipperary. So she could see that climate was changing and within the bounds of her lifetime. So we are seeing the impacts here. We've got much more floods, we've things like that. So Yes, it's enlightened self-interest for all of us. It's in our own interest and it's in the interest of developing countries and those who can't cope to be able to do this work.
3: It's always those people who say that climate change doesn't exist, but they're also like, oh my God, how do we have another storm? Why are we naming (laughs) another storm? I'm like, (laughs) are are you okay? Like, are you actually not making the connection here? What can we do at an individual level?
2: Um, At an individual level, there's so many things. I'm not the expert in this and my wife will tell me much more than... I am. So think the actions we're taking in our house, for example, at the moment, there's the amount of bulk buying that's happening at the moment. I saw litres and litres of shampoo coming in today. So we're reducing our plastic. So we're looking at how we reduce our sort of household waste that way. Food sustainability is a big issue. Looking at where we source our food, the type of food we're eating, And making sure that we don't have food waste or try and reduce that food waste because that's all contributing to the global sort of issues. Um, Yeah, food sustainability is a big thing and kind of making sure we eat local, which then brings up a really weird sort of challenge for me individually, I suppose, at times because somebody's like, eat an apple because it's better than an orange because it's grown locally. And I'm like, yeah, but that orange was grown by a poor farmer in Brazil who we might want to have a better income. So is always this sort of thing in the back of my mind, going, which is the better choice? Yeah, yeah. Climate versus supporting somebody's ability to actually feed themselves. But I think that comes down then to a food system that's not working perfectly. Or you see people in Kenya, we buy carnations up in Marks and Spencer's or whatever. They're, those are grown in Kenya quite often by people who've either decided to grow those and not grow food for consumption or are working in farms where they're not actually then producing their own food or the burden of production is falling to the woman who has 59 other jobs to do. So there's all these different things that keep me awake at night.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing though. We did talk about like trying to buy locally and like I'd be more inclined when I'm in the supermarket and I'm looking at stuff like I'll look and I'll see the country of origin and I'll be like, oh, like this is awful, Mm. whatever. But I do have that thing as well where I think about like this person has been paid probably X amount of pence
1: to grow like it's it's so hard and like there's so much kind of we saw with COVID as well with the whole sustainable or the fast fashion where everyone's like stop buying fast fashion but then when we all had to stop at once it really affected the the people at the other end the workers who lost their jobs so it has to happen kind of gradually and like in a smart way rather than all at once or like people are still going to be affected on that side of the world as well
2: yeah and what we are like at home trying to do is just buy it is buy more local so you don't have to buy everything that is Within your region, but try and buy more or at least buy more consciously. I think if we buy more consciously, I think it will help as well. Like that fashion thing the other day, I was like, oh, there's a, sh- a shoe sale. I must buy a new pair of shoes. And I was like, you're working from home. Yeah. What do you need another <laughs> pair <laughs> of shoes <laughs> for? Yeah. <laughs> I've spent the last three months in flip flops. Yeah. Like nobody <laughs> sees. Hello. So it's that sort of hang on.
3: Yeah, like, just stop and think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It just goes back to that like thing of, consumers wanting things immediately and not being willing to wait and the marketing of things being like look this is new and we have this for you now yeah and you can have it's so accessible like it's almost too accessible that we're just like grab and go and as you said there's not that moment where it's like okay hang on do I need this where is this grown who does this benefit other than me like it's it's so hard and it is
2: too easy to buy stuff so there's 25 kilos of flour sitting in my house now because it was easier to buy 25 kilos online than go to the shop every day. I was like, I need my white strong flour so I can make my own bread, which I'm doing. But I wonder how many of us in another three months will actually be using the flour we've bought and the (laughs) excess yeast and all that stuff that's sitting there. But it's easy for me to go out, I don't have to go out, press send online. The problem we're seeing in many of the countries we are working in now is you have markets that are shut down, you have people who are dependent on daily wage, To actually eat. So now they're like, they've no job. There's no local market. So people are actually hungry. I was talking to colleagues in Senegal and they're like, yeah, people are reducing the amount of food they're eating in a day because they don't have it. They can't get to the market to eat, to buy the food. They're not getting the daily labor that they would normally get. So again, we're in this situation where, yes, we have challenges here, but I can order bread online or I can order my flour online. If you're in Senegal or Kenya, you can't. If the government says it's shut down and you can't get to the market and you're used to going to the market on a daily basis to buy your food or if you're a farmer in a rural area, you might grow your maize, which you might grind to flour, but you don't have your oil at home or you don't have your salt and you might be on a daily basis going out to buy this and you see little tiny packets of salt and oil because you're living hand to mouth. So it's that sort of, these are the impacts that COVID are bringing on.
1: Yeah. However bad we thought, like when we couldn't get flour yeah. during lockdown. Do you know what like, I like just it keep it thinking
3: about? And I don't want to shame anyone for doing this, but you know, like the whole thing of people like waiting for McDonald's and being like, if McDonald's doesn't open now I'm going to scream. And now I'm thinking of those people who are just like looking for a little sausage of sugar. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, like... it's it's, yeah. oh, it's actually insane. Yeah. Like, And it's,
2: I suppose it's not to shame people either. It's like that is, we're in a very lucky position to be able to do that and other people are in a very unfortunate position but then there is things that we can do that impact that so yeah. I think it's that and...
1: yeah we just need to think more globally
3: that's yeah. it what changes would you like to see the government implement well I think the
2: Irish government are very strong on hunger and nutrition in fairness to them so hunger is part of the new well relatively new year old um, international development policy of Irish Aid. they're quite good at giving money towards hunger and nutrition um, I suppose From a climate perspective, nobody can deny that Ireland needs to do more action on the climate side. So we're very good with our overseas aid work. And Ireland is very supportive of climate change overseas and climate action and improving hunger. But then if you're doing that and then still not providing the sort of policy framework for climate action here, then they kind of cancel each other out or at least you're not enabling that. So, yeah, we need more action on climate change. We need more green transport. We need more incentives, I suppose, for retrofitting. We need more agriculture policies that kind of are sort of more. Yeah, I think there's a lot of discussion about like the herd and the national herd and agriculture being the the issue. But I've had discussions like with climate scientists before and it's like, OK, if the herd and agriculture is a priority then where are the other areas in our sectors that we can reduce it so where is the green transport and where is the infrastructure and where are the other where do we make those cuts as a nation and do that
3: the lack of like infrastructure development and like the public transport thing like wrecks my nut every time I think about it or like read about it in terms of just how yeah. like unwilling or like just blind the government seem to want in terms of wanting to do anything and in terms of their whole thing is like we just need to get cars off the road and like i know one of the t- solutions are like things that they've talked about in terms of increasing buses and whatever and i'm just like no like we need to be like not doing that it's it's mm. so frustrating to watch as someone i don't know yeah. it's very very frustrating i don't know how you feel about it Breed.
1: Yeah, not the exact same, <laughs> the exact same. but that's because we like have started to think on a more global level. I feel like people are slowly but surely getting there, especially our generation, yeah. which
3: is great. Yeah. And the generations even coming up under us, I think are so much more aware of
1: willing to change and willing yeah. to like think about people older than, than themselves.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like we bought a new car, not a new car, a car, second hand, new to us car recently. And the kids were like, let's get an electric car. And we're like, we can't afford that. Like, literally can't. And the kids are like, well, the government needs to make sure we can afford electric cars, which is that sort of changing. your kids are need... telling you that Yeah,
1: I like, can't
3: <laughs> yeah, tell them. <laughs> over with Leo there, yeah, yeah, for yeah, God's yeah. sake. <laughs> um, what is hunger-free all about then? Hunger-free is about the fact we have
2: sustainable development goals and we have SDG 2. So we know that a hunger-free world is achievable. We know there's enough food in the world. We know that we can produce enough. So it's about ensuring that everyone has enough to eat and that we end the issues around sort of um, the fact that children are going to bed hungry or that they are um, stunted, which is basically when you have a child who is short for their age so that they, in the first thousand days of their life, don't get enough nutrition. And that if that happens, you never make that up. You can gain and lose weight, as we all know. But you can't, if you're stunted, you're stunted for life and that has developmental implications. Um, so it's
3: trying to make sure things like that don't happen. Like it's just bananas. Bananas to think about like, e- but even at home, and we spoke with this earlier in terms of like children in Ireland, like one in five of them going to bed hungry or mm. not getting enough to eat. I think again, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, sure, that's not on our doorstep. That's not our problem when like yeah. it absolutely is like, and especially even with the impact of COVID and whatever else, I can imagine that's only worsened, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I think a lot of it comes down to the way I look at it is like if there's knowledge and then there's access. So I think there's a combination of both and both here and overseas. It's that some people don't have the knowledge and maybe like we're not. I certainly didn't learn about food or good nutrition in school, as far as I remember. Um, I did in college because I did nursing. But then... Access like not everyone can afford to go to the local butchers or can afford to go to whatever the greengrocer's. You might go for whatever's convenient. Mm. And I certainly know from being locked at home with three small kids, you often do just go for what's convenient <laughs> yeah. and you do need.
3: This will do. Yeah
2: yeah, you do need fish fingers and pizza some nights to be able to go. Oh, just absolutely. relax. Leave me alone.
3: Yeah, speak my language, speak my language. And um, where can people find out more about world vision and hunger-free and how can they help??
2: So people can go to worldvision.ie and learn all about our work. And there's many ways you can support our work there by either just educating yourself around the work we're doing or supporting it through whatever means you can. We know things are tight for people at the moment, but there's also many ways you can give once off. You can support children long term. There's many different ways you can support our work.
3: Has COVID had a detrimental impact on fundraising? I feel like I've seen and spoken to so many charities and whatever, and it's just so tough, like, and yeah. they're the ones that are going to bear the brunt of this. Like, it's... Yeah, we're, we're
2: definitely seeing a reduction in our income because of COVID. And that's understandable. People are, whatever, they're tight. People are pushed. There's a lot of people out of work at the moment. So it's understandable that people um, don't have as much money to give as they can. But we're still seeing people give. There's still money, people writing cards, wishing us luck with the good work and sending in what they can afford. So every penny counts.
3: That's amazing. Yeah. So delighted. Mara Lear. thank you so much for joining us to talk about World Vision. We're very absolutely nice. delighted to have you in.
1: Yeah, it's great work that you're doing as well. And I feel very enlightened. I'm the,
3: I'm going away and I just feel like Should I need to change everything. Yeah, literally, like I'm going to overhaul my life. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Mara's like, my work here is yeah. done. Yeah, that's it. Great, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks very much for having me. So that was Connor Spacey, Culinary Director at Foodspace. Space, and Mara Sadler, Programmes Director for World Vision Ireland. We are extremely grateful that they came in to us again and taught us so much. Um, if you are thinking about supporting World Vision and you want to know what your support can do, um, through their work every 60 seconds, a family gets water, a hungry child is fed, and a family receives the tools to overcome poverty. And we all know, we're all experiencing... implications of COVID-19 I think we really need to look at charities and support them as well as well as shopping local I think that's one message that we've taken away from this where possible um so yeah whatever you can do to help would be amazing and we would be so grateful to you as listeners if you can Um, Lend an ear Even if it's educating yourself Or if you want to reach into your pockets That's also great Um, Breed has gathered up some
1: I have some themed mini bandwagons
3: Some themed mini bandwagons Some great resources If you're feeling as encouraged as we are yeah. And uh, where you can learn more And maybe if you want to point other people in the direction of So yeah, Breed, take it away Yeah,
1: so these are just uh, podcasts and TV shows That I have watched in the last 24 hours In preparation for this or listened to in the last twenty four hours, um, which I found really interesting. There is an Irish podcast from twenty seventeen, and it was two chefs from the Fumbly Cafe, and it's called With Relish. I'm not sure if it's still going, but they did an episode. I think it was their second one on sustainability in the food industry, and it was really, really interesting. And they're it's just a really good podcast. They went out to Bray and they met people who just go around Bray, just planting little pop up garden like, uh, sustainable gardens, um, and met with another like PhD student who like studies like eating insects and stuff like that. I'm not doing it justice, but it is a very good listen if you're interested. Um and that was called with relish. Um the second thing I watched on like this is a shameless self plug because I worked on Supergarden this year, but the second episode of Supergarden was with Tara Lalan, a designer who's mad into sustainable gardening and permaculture, which is just like everything in your garden serving a purpose. And for her garden, like God Lover, she really got down to the wire. It's a very stressful watch, but the principles and like the things she implemented in her garden were so interesting and in she put so much like sustainable gardening into such a small space and there was like a herb wall and a salad wall and like a small little greenhouse where you could grow like Moroccan spices. Um worry, and yeah. like it was literally just like um a council estate garden. So yeah. it was like there were she was limited in space, um, if you consider, consider how many in. people are living in apartments Literally, and all like you yeah. can
3: definitely apply the same I haven't watched it I'm going to watch it after this you can definitely apply the same
1: techniques I'd imagine Yeah and she's like that's just her thing and she studied it and she's mad into permaculture so you can follow I think her Instagram is called two peas in a polytunnel and that's her and her husband um, just showing how they do things and they have a polytunnel up in Cavan Two peas in a polytunnel Yeah It's very amazing. Cute. Um, And I just find it really interesting so that uh, Supergarden episode 2 um, on the RT player on the RT player or yeah it's on the RT player now because you've missed it <laughs> um, <laughs> and then there's another podcast which I haven't listened to but it's the Food Citizenship Podcast and it is all it has all just like information and tools on how to eat sustainably um, and it looks like a good listen there's another one as well called uh, Rebel Matters Podcast and they did an episode episode 9 on farming sustainably and the food industry and um, There's loads out there if you go looking for it. And then there's just loads of those sustainability documentaries on Netflix that we've spoken about on our sustainability episode. Uh, Forks Over Knives, Cowspiracy, Game Changers, The True Cost of Food, and GMO OMG. Like, there's loads out there if you're interested. Just go looking. Yeah. That's all I have to say. That's (laughs) it.
3: Thank you so much. I found this so interesting. Yeah, no, it it really, really was. And... We were delighted that revision got onto us, and we were able to do this and yeah, like for us, it's as much about us learning as it is us trying to f- fling the knowledge to you. I don't know what kind of gesture <laughs> I'm making to breed, but
0: yeah, that's it's as lame. much about
3: we want this to be a collaborative effort, and as much as you learn about like shows and things from us, like this is something that's we're really passionate about, but, as I said, we're not perfect, we're still learning and Hopefully you've taken something from this and we'll implement it in your lives Um, and just want to extend our thanks to World Vision again for getting on to us and
1: yeah. Keep an eye out on our Instagram over the week. We're going to see about getting uh, Connor Spacey on to do some top tips. Yeah. Um, Or maybe a little handover. He can show us how to make some kimchi or something. Yeah. Hit. We're not too sure yet, but we're definitely gonna get get them on to do something. Yeah. So keep an
3: eye out. Keep an eye on the socials where Banwagans Podcast everywhere. Um if you like the episode, why not leave us a review? That'll be really nice. Only if they're nice. Only if they're nice. Um tell your friends if you want to drop us an email, podcast at gmail.com. I've been Fanula. I've been Breed. And we'll see you next week. Bye.